And so that's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. In fact, in our um, study guide that uh, some of you are going through uh, for this week, the um, big idea is this. If Jesus is who he said he is, we can trust him with everything, even the most broken areas of our life. I know that this room is filled with people uh, characterized by brokenness. Uh, And you know how I know that? Because you're breathing. It's true, isn't it? You don't have to live very long. You don't have to go through very many seasons of life to find yourself in a place where you know what brokenness is. Uh, Some of it's personal. Uh, Some of it's brokenness because of people in our lives who are going through crisis, and it is just absolutely heartbreaking uh, to be able to see them endure it. Yeah, we all have our lists, and they just simply come because we live. And um, we may be going through life and feel like it's going pretty well, and then another broken person crashes into our life, and then their brokenness breaks us. We, we live in a world uh, that is just that way. It hits us all. It affects us all. We don't see it coming. Uh, and we get really effective at trying to cover it up. Um, we go on vacations. It helps for a little bit. Uh, we deceive ourselves. We uh, Sometimes folks jump into addictions. Uh, We distance ourselves as much as we can from that. We don't want to talk about those things. We don't want to be in that environment. We don't want to see those people. Whatever it is, there are so many different ways that we try to cope with that. Well, the Gospel of Mark is about broken people. And Jesus is there with the broken people. In fact, when we turn to Mark chapter 5 this morning, we see him across the Sea of Galilee, and he is with one of the most broken people you can imagine a man whose life's been absolutely broken uh, by possession by demons. And then we see a woman whose life is for, has been for 12 years been broken. And we see a ruler of the synagogue who uh, has just found out that his daughter is minutes from death. Uh, and we see Jesus right there in the middle of it. It's not like he's jumping from one one event to another, media event to another, uh, where he's just going to put up the cameras and and show that he cares. Um, Not that they do that, but sometimes, you know, you just kind of feel that way in the midst of politics, don't you? Or or jumping from one group of influential people to another to see what you can get. No, in Mark chapter 5, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is right there in the middle of it. He's with broken people, and he's intent on on caring for them. This section of Mark that we're looking at this morning, Mark chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, I would just encourage you to turn there. There It is just packed, packed with story and and insights along the way. And we're just going to get to a little bit of it this morning. But in this section, it's actually a framed section in the Gospel of Mark. And we've talked about how brilliant Mark is in creating something that is a tribute to Jesus Uh, as much or even more than it is a report about Jesus. There's a tribute, there are declarations about who he is. And Mark frames some of those passages by talking about calendar. 
And in the end of Mark chapter 4, a uh, new event, part of a day, it's evening has come. And he is going to tell his disciples to get in the boat. And it's all the way till we get to the beginning of Mark chapter 6, where we see mention of a new day. So this is a whole collection of events that take place because Mark wants us to see something really specific about Jesus. And this section starts out, if you look in your uh, scriptures in Mark chapter 4, the disciples are in the midst of a sea filled with turmoil. And um, they are just fearful for their lives. And uh, they ask this question and it becomes the preface to all of the stories that we hear in Mark chapter 5. They ask Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? That's how it starts. So we walk into this room this morning with our brokenness that perhaps we dare to pull out and, and, and bring it to the front of our minds again. Maybe we dare to. But we're all asking the same question. I want to know if I bring it out, if Jesus cares. Jesus don't you care? In the Gospel of Mark, Mark has already let us know that Jesus calls us to follow him. He's already let us know that he forgives sin. And those are really great things to know and to be aware of. But this is where it starts to get really, really deep. I need to know that he cares. That the brokenness in me and around me I really want to know he cares about that. And so, Mark shows us more clearly who Jesus is. And there are four times, uh, there are four repeating things, uh, three different uh, traits that we see that repeat four times. First of all, you'll note, and I just kind of think this is pretty cool, I like the way stuff is structured and put together. But four times we see people that are filled with fear. In chapter 4, verse 40, the disciples are afraid. In chapter 5, verse 15, the garrison people are afraid. They, they see the demoniac healed. They look at their pig franchise, and it's gone. And they're terrified. And in chapter 5, verse 33, we see the woman. Interesting, we don't even know what her name is. But she is, she is afraid. And then we get to chapter 5, verse 36, and Jairus, he is afraid as well. Four, four different groups of people characterized by being afraid. And in this very same section of Scripture, we see four demonstrations of the power of Jesus Christ. His demonstration over the sea, he makes it calm, restores it to glass. His demonstration of power over the demons who taunted at first and fled at last. His power over persisting illness, 12, 12 years, and it has not gone away. And in a moment's touch, it's gone forever. And then his demonstration over death itself, as Jairus' daughter dies, spoiler alert, <laughs> and risen to dead. Risen from the dead, spoiler alert again. But you see, four groups of people that are fearful, four times 
Jesus shows how powerful he is to people in fear. And you also see another group of four. In all four of those events, Jesus either calls them or addresses, acknowledges their faith. Jesus calls disciple to faith in him in chapter 4, verse 41. The people of the region of Gerasenes have no faith, and so they ask Jesus to leave. In chapter 5, the woman is described as having faith in Christ. And then Jairus is invited to have faith in Christ, where Jesus says, just believe. So we know where this is going, don't we? (laughs) In a story that is begun with this question, Jesus, don't you care? This one's going to be about deepest fears and hurts and suffering um, and brokenness. It's going to be about the power of Jesus Christ to walk into every one of those situations and demonstrate a skill set that no one in the world has but Jesus. And it's about a response of faith. So there are just two things I want us to hang on to here and then um, ask God how he might want to apply it in our lives. The first is this. My brokenness matters to Jesus. And I'm saying that about me. You can say it about yourself. I can tell you your brokenness matters to Jesus, but I don't have much control over that. I do need to know this, that my brokenness, it matters to Jesus. And I know it. In this story, really, as we get to the core of it, there are two primary people in it. And the first one is Jairus. He's the ruler of the synagogue or ruler of the synagogue. He has great devotion to God. He is a morally respectable figure in that city and in that area. He is no doubt wealthy, socially connected, and socially distinguished. Jairus is a big deal. And Jairus has a daughter who is deathly ill. In fact, we know as we read through the story, frankly, his daughter has minutes to live when this story begins. And Jesus is concerned about Jairus' daughter, and Jairus asks Jesus to be able to come. And it says this, he says, um, a large crowd followed. Uh, I'm sorry, when Jesus crossed the lake, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, I'm in verse 22, came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And Jesus went with them. And there's a whole crowd around. It's like it kind of, we have ambulances here. They have like ambulance parades there. And such as you see is the crowd, the crowd admires Jesus' care for this brokenness that this distinguished person is dealing with right now. I mean, he's an important person. And his life has absolutely completely fallen apart. And Jesus says, I'm going. And so the emergency medical help parade is on its way. The crowd follows it. They're nodding in agreement, no doubt. It seems right for Jesus to do this. And maybe they're just really even looking to see what Jesus can do. They've heard about it. And so, so here, here goes the crowd, and they're all just 
pushing in on one another, following Jesus as he heads for Jairus' home. And they're plowing through traffic when all of a sudden, this is what happens. Verse 25, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal after the care, under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? I mean, they just think Jesus is crazy. How, how in the world can you even ask that question? Everybody's bumping everybody around here, Jesus. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told them the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed of your suffering. It's really remarkable. She had been subject to 12 years of bleeding, suffered, this is interesting, isn't it? Suffered under the care of many doctors. It sounds like the medical system is still alive and well, right? <laughs> Sorry for those of you that are in it, but you get it as well as we do. Sometimes all of those things we think will work just don't. And she apparently had invested uh, all the money she had in trying to turn her life around. And she had only gotten worse. Her condition had gotten worse. She no longer had any financial capacities. She wasn't going to a doctor. She didn't have any money to bring. And so she was absolutely desperate. Apparently during that time there was a, this superstitious thing that around great people, the greatness would even spill out onto their clothing. That was what some people were teaching during that time. And so this just wasn't a random thing. It was just kind of the superstition of the day. Great people emanated things even into their clothes. And so she said, and if I'll just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. In fact, it seemed to work, didn't it? That's all she did. She just touched the hem of his garment. And she was actually healed. Immediately, it says, the bleeding stops and she actually even feels it in her body. This is a dramatic turn of events and Jesus realizes, now let's realize what's going on here. Jairus' daughter is near death and, and why does Jesus even need to know, right? Why does he need to stop? There is an emergency, there is an urgency right here and Jesus stops the whole parade and pauses and just goes back to this woman and says some things to this woman 
that she needs to know. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But can you understand the urgency of the situation? And Mark wants us to see it. He tied these two stories together just perfectly so we would be right there in the middle of it. Jarius must know what has just happened. The person who has suffered for 12 years has stepped in front of the one who may not live more than 12 more minutes. I mean, was it urgent for her? She had handled it for 12 years, right? And yet there was this other thing that was going on. Tim Keller, in his chapter where he tells this story, talks about this is medical malpractice. I mean, think about it. If, if you're in a situation where there is brokenness all around, crisis around, and you triage that one, how do you triage it? And you can triage it two different ways. One is, who's closest to dying right now and needs help most? The other one you can triage is, who's the most important person in the room? And yet there Jesus is, addressing the woman who's already been healed so that she might know something that she needs to know. Jesus doesn't triage. Jesus doesn't triage. He doesn't. He doesn't need to. He doesn't say to you, can you just hold on a little bit longer? I've got some other stuff I need to deal with right now. You get it, don't you? This is really important. Can you just wait? Do you mind if someone else goes in front of you because their deal is more important than yours is? That is not what is going on here. He doesn't say, your brokenness matters to Jesus and he does not discriminate. There is no one more important standing in line and bumps you and gets ahead. Your brokenness absolutely matters to Jesus. And for him, it is front and center. Front and center. I think sometimes we say, well, no wonder... No wonder Jesus isn't taking care of this right now. Oh, he has so many more important things to do. I don't know where that comes from, but it doesn't come from this Jesus in his book. My brokenness matters to Jesus. It's another part of this, and that is that God's timing has nothing to do with God's concern. So here's this woman realizing that her brokenness just trumped the synagogue ruler, his daughter who was about to die, because it mattered that much to Jesus. And here is this father who's wondering whether God has just blown it in regards to his timing. 
in how he does things. God's timing has nothing to do with God's concern. Frankly, God's timing may have everything to do with God's concern because it seems like he sends to put his, his most precious people, his disciples, his followers, into situations where it looks like he doesn't, he doesn't care as much as we thought. I mean, this is what had just happened with uh, sailing into the storm. Just this past week, we have a ship captain who's a captain of Anthem of the Seas, and um, he sailed that ocean-going cruise ship right into a storm, and he knew it was there. I wonder if he will captain ever again. He knew it. He knew the storm was there. Well, isn't that what Jesus is just doing right here? (laughs) He's saying, (laughs) it's nightfall, and he says, I got a great idea. Let's get in the boat and sail across uh, the Sea of Galilee. And you don't think he didn't know? And he sails them right into the storm so that they would know what matters most. You see, Jesus is orchestrating this all the time. All the, the time. And he works in the midst of time. The storm is often an element in knowing his concern more deeply. The delay, Jesus is saying this about himself. The delay will never be about me not caring. It will always be about me wanting you to, be, to know something with your life that is more significant than you know right now. It will always be about that. My concern being unaddressed is not about him being distracted. My brokenness being unhealed is not because he's too busy. My pain is present not because he is less interested in mine than his or hers ever. Ever. Can you believe that? That's why Mark put it in the Gospel of Mark. Now we get to the part where it talks about what Jesus mentions four times here, and it's about faith. The first thing I need to live by is this. My brokenness matters to Jesus. And the second thing is this. My faith is all I have and all I need. My faith is all I've got. And frankly, it's all I need. I want to point out five character traits of this faith that Jesus talks about here. And the first one is this. It's, it's, it's only faith. It's faith alone. There's nothing added to it. Uh, the woman w- wanted to add a superstitious element to it, or she thought she had to. I've got to do it just right, and, and this is the way to do it. This is why Jesus turns around and stops her, and he says, your faith has made you well. Your faith, nothing else. It wasn't your strategic choice to touch the hem of my garment. It was what was happening in your, in your heart. Because I know what the disciples are telling me right now is true. Everybody's bumping into everybody around here. 
I know that. It wasn't that. It was your faith, only faith. That's it, nothing else. I, I remember times I would go through in my life and I would just say, I must be praying the wrong way. I've got to start out by saying, Father in heaven, or who do I address? Is it Jesus or is it the Father, is it the Holy Spirit? What if I get it wrong? And then at the end, I've got to use that word amen. What in the world does that mean? And, and in Jesus, I have to say, in Jesus' name. I mean, do you see all of the stuff we add? All of the stuff we think we've got to put in there in order for it to work right. What is that about? If, if he is my father and he loves me, do you think he's going to sit there and just taunt me with getting it right? No, it's, it's faith. Faith alone. It's just the stuff that's in my heart. It's this longing and trust. I've got nothing left. She had nothing left but a superstition. And Jesus even disabused her of that because he wants her to have only faith. Only faith. The other aspect of this faith is that it's, it's active faith. It's faith that actually brings us on a journey towards Jesus and into the midst of the crisis to be able to deal with it. It's active. I think sometimes in our Christian vernacular, we get this idea that we come to faith and then we just kind of sit down and say, glad that's over with, made that decision. Okay, here we go, let's wait for heaven. Or now I go to church every Sunday morning. Faith is actually the stuff we do in our life to offer to God our trust and to offer to him our brokenness and to walk into that brokenness. Faith is revealed where brokenness is present and addressed. And active faith means I'm going to take the brokenness of my life and I'm going to walk towards Jesus with him. I'm going to trust him with it. I'm going to hear what he wants me to say and do. And I'm going to just jump right in on it. I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'm not going to pretend it's not there. I'm not going to take a vacation try to stay away from it. I'm not going to even distance myself from the people where the brokenness is. I'm going to walk with Jesus into it. It's active faith. I, I charge into toward the brokenness because I'm walking into it with Jesus and then it's faith because he's going with me towards it and into it. Faith is active faith or it's not really even faith. It's, it's culture. It's liturgy. And... and Jesus sees it as faith. It's, it's going to Jesus and going with Jesus along the way. It is only faith. It is active faith. It is whole faith. Uh, what is it that matters most? Jesus uses the word heal here. And it's, it's a more of an all-encompassing word for healing. It's, it's healing her body physically, but it's also healing her her life, her heart, her being spiritually. That's the word. Jesus intentionally used this word. It's whole faith. 
You see, the folks on the other side of the, of, of the Sea of Galilee, you know what kind of faith they wanted? They wanted faith that makes our economy work well. You know, how are you going to help us with our swine business? And, and, and they didn't want the whole thing. They just wanted the part that was going to help them out with that. And, and so they're asking Jesus to leave. But the faith we see here is faith that cares about those physical needs, those devastating aspects of brokenness. Jesus longs to heal those so that we would know who he is. But he's got more, and we talked about that last week, didn't we, when we were talking about what he does in our lives spiritually as well. So Jesus is a person who invites us into wholeness of faith. Is there something that is broken in your life physically, medically, why not ask Jesus to heal it? Is there something in your life that is broken spiritually? Why not ask Jesus to heal it? Because you know what? He wants both of those things. Jesus will do whatever it takes to help you know him and love him. He will. Jesus will do whatever it takes to help you to know him and to love him. Jesus will do whatever it takes to help you to know him and to love him. Next aspect of this faith is its patient faith, and we've talked about it here. Jarius was asked to believe. All, All the while, all the while, Jesus was doing the most important thing for Jarius. You know, and Jerry's could say, oh, I've been interrupted. My issues are on hold. And they weren't. God wanted Jarius and all of us who would read this story to know that Jesus was far more than everybody else thought he was. And that brings us to this last act, act of faith, that it's, it's, it's intimate faith. It's, it's family faith. Jesus, when she, he addresses the one who has only been described as a woman, Did you see what he calls her? What does he say? Daughter. Daughter. Do you know that's the only time in all the Gospels Jesus ever addresses someone and calls them daughter? Right here. Boom. Daughter. Not patient. Not potential entourage member. Not loyal subject. Not client. Daughter. Jesus is not interested so much in starting a medical care center, a feeding program. Jesus wants want primarily to be seen as medical help or food source. When my brother was paralyzed, many of you know the story, and shot, paralyzed from the neck down, uh, as a family we gathered together and loved our brother and, um, uh, and, and we were family and we were tight. But you know what happened? As Mike's needs became persisting and abiding, we moved from family to medical staff. It's just what happens. What do you need next? What do you need next? What do you need next? And someone finally identified that for us and said, what happened to family? You're just, you're just staff. That's what your role is, your medical help, your support team. You're not family. And say, you know what, the other stuff can be taken of. Go back to being family. 
And you know, there are times when Jesus says, don't tell anybody, it's because if they tell it that way, Jesus is going to be smaller than who he is. And he says, I am not merely the one who is a great source of feeding 5,000 people or dealing with paralysis. I am your father. I want that kind of a relationship that is abiding and is deep. God is not just interested in hungry people being fed. We know he's interested in that. Nor sick people being made well. We know he's interested in that. Or your children emerging unscathed from adolescence. I mean, it is adolescence. That's why they call it that, right? God is not so much interested in that as much as he is interested in us hearing him say, son, daughter, my deepest love. And that's what happens when Jesus goes to Jairus' daughter. See what it says? In our translation, it says, little girl. Uh, Keller will point this out as you read it. That word is deeper, far more endearing than that. It's honey. Honey. It's time to get up now. Jesus said when everybody else says, she's, she's dead, it's done. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. And to this dead little girl, he says, honey, time to get up now. He wants you and me to hear those words from him. It may not happen in the way we want it and when we want it, but if we choose to trust, we will hear those words. Dear precious one, here I am. Time to get up now. What does it mean for us to trust? What does it mean for us to wait? What does it mean for us to live a life characterized by that kind of faith? That's what we all get to figure out. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these realities about who you are. And now we want to enter into a time where we jump in and trust you with the things in our life. And so lead us now as we go there together. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not done yet. We're going to take a season of about 10 minutes here. So we're going to go 